This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Beachbody. Right now, you can get a free trial of Beachbody on demand by texting Bad Christian, all one word, to 303030. That's Bad Christian, all one word, to 303030. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Gig it. Yeah! Boy! Good energy today, and I have extra energy because I've completed. I don't know if you can see it, my podcast table, and I have the most wonderful, beautiful, most wonderful microphone arm in the world here that I just installed everywhere. I can do whatever I want to do. I feel like a professional. Finally, I've been thinking about this stuff for like two years. I didn't want to rush into it, but I have arrived, and I know today will be my bed best podcast of all time because of the technical wow i know it is so so just so it only goes down from here it can only be it goes down uh, in in fact just call out a topic and i will start talking about it and it will be awesome i'll I'll matt's called matt's planning peanuts unsalted unsalted peanuts peanuts. so here's the thing about unsalted peanuts is uh the best part about peanuts is salt. Everybody knows that. That's why I used to put them in Coke. Yep. People used to put them in Coke and do 10, 2, and mm. 4. Dr. Pepper's name is about that. Salt peanuts. You know? Salt peanuts. Yeah, so, and salt is a very under... Uh, it's, a, it's a thing that's in our diet right now that people don't get enough of, especially if you're eating low-carb. The carb. morning after pill. The morning no, after I'm, pill. I had a long way to go. On, I, had, I had 10 more no, minutes on peanuts. Sorry. I wanted to talk yep, about sorry. peanut allergies. I wanted to talk about salt consumption. I apologize. So Moving on. on. Bay. Okay, the thing about Gitmo is <laughs> Obama's first... <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know y'all, what's really y'all, funny y'all, is, I, I mean, I promise you, I almost have... No understanding or anywhere close to like geography or anything of where Guantanamo Bay is. I don't really know anything about it. I heard they have terrorists there, I think, and I don't know anything. Like, I, I was thinking about Dave Chappelle made that joke about how Donald Trump didn't know something, and he was like, later he had to be honest to himself. He didn't know either. And I was thinking, you know how much stuff <laughs> oh, that totally. people talk about and complain about? They don't know anything. Not a thing. <laughs> like, I, I'm that way. I don't know almost anything. Like and that's true. I, there, there's so much stuff that I don't know that I probably could hold a decent conversation about. Yeah, if you, and I don't know yeah. a shit about. If you were scrutinized for hey, real, I, like if you were running for public office and somebody wanted to find out what you don't know and what you're dumb about, it would be right. quite easy to do. Oh, like it's easy. I like know. You know, I'll tell you, I'll, they're out there digging up something dirt on it. Oprah, obviously, as we speak, and it, it'll be easy to make anybody look dumb. I mean, the weird thing is, the TV personalities that have done PR their whole life. Let's just think about right. this for a second. If your whole thing is being the public face as a celebrity and you're on top of that game, well, that actually qualifies you f- extremely well for avoiding looking foolish in a lot of ways. Like that uh, and managing and spinning things. Like Oprah and Trump, yeah. that's they're that's what they're good at. Now, I know people don't like Trump, yeah. but he's very effective that, for the people that like him. That was one of the ba- yeah. the big nails in the coffin for Gary Johnson when he didn't right. he's like what the hell is yeah, Aleppo? He didn't do anything or, wrong or, there. I don't, even, I don't even know if that's what it was. <laughs> and it ended him. No, yeah. but yeah. And it's no big deal, and Trump doesn't know anything about Aleppo. I don't think Oprah does. It doesn't no. matter. Anybody can make no. that mistake, but they wouldn't have made it, and he would have, and so that's that. Right. You're right. <laughs> or like he would have handled it better. Yeah. They would have handled it better if they didn't know. They would have changed this. They'd have framed it back. They wouldn't have said, what is Aleppo? They'd have said, I'll tell you what I do know, right. and then they just started, and that would have been whatever. Hey, y'all, y'all, listen, y'all listen to this. Last night, I... Um, 
I was waiting for Priscilla to come downstairs uh, to watch a TV show that you guys said you would never, ever watch, and that's cool, called This Is Us. So, I, But I turned it on Fox News literally for the first time in probably a decade, and I'm watching that thing with a brand new pair of eyes. I cannot believe the stuff that they're saying. I cannot believe how godly of a man Trump is painted. <laughs> it is just unbelievable. And that used to be in my opinion, very fair and balanced. I was like, well, Fox News, I mean, they just tell the truth. Right. I mean, they just, Do you think they they've just changed or there, you've changed? I really believe that. Let's, oh, I have. Do you think they've, have. they've changed too or no? You just see it different. Maybe. I don't know. All I can go by right now is that I have changed because when I hear the stuff that Hannity is saying, I mean, I, I used to think everything that man said was dial, wow. boy. And now I'm just like, I cannot believe what this guy is saying. He is just insane. I'm not trying to jump ahead. That was but, an experience. But, uh, that's the kind of the way I feel about The Shack, the book. And I'll talk to that. We, we have the author coming up here in a few minutes. Um, but yeah, like, perfect the, example. I you agree. Know, the first time I heard about and read and checked that out, I thought it was immediate. I, I should just tell him this, but I thought it was heresy and bad and wrong and to be fought. 100%. And now. I don't think that, and it makes me. Re- and so I'm not talking, talking about that at this moment. We'll do that in the interview. But what is that? The weirdest thing about that is like, well, who am I? Was I that? Am I this? Am I the same person? Right. What was I when I was eight? I mean, like, it kind of throws me in my head for a loop because I don't know what's different, but I don't. I think so different about that now. Yeah. So that's kind of scary. Well, I think, am I still I, me? I, don't I think that. I think the biggest thing or one of the most important things we can learn, and Toby's been talking about this sort of stuff too, and I think we'll get into it uh, in this episode, but it's just just reflecting on ultimate reality and who are we to point to put our finger on it and say, this is how things are. And I'm telling um, you, know, we've had Pete Enns on here before. His, his book, Sin of Certainty, was just so good for me because... I mean, he he's walked through that and he's given it up. He's just like, we were never intended to have that. So, I mean, do you really think that these guys in the Old Testament were just so sure and positive why they were doing certain things? And do you really think every time they said they heard from the Lord, they really heard from the Lord? I mean, that you and I, the three of us, would get very frustrated with someone saying, oh, yeah, I heard from God, and he definitely said this. And, and this isn't even a talk about inerrancy, but I'm just saying, do we really think that people in the Old Testament heard perfectly from God? Do we really think people in the New Testament... Per- and it's just being okay with saying, hey, I have a belief system and I have faith that is true. And because of my personal experiences, I really do believe it's true, but I have zero right to put a finger on ultimate reality and tell everybody this is how it is because you just don't know. Well, the, I mean, well, the other thing too is you have to be very careful because people are so certain about things. I guess like, for example, uh, on my, on my Facebook, I, somebody posted an article and I lost it and couldn't find it. And I was like, Hey, somebody posted an article about Paul and, did, and you know, are we get, have, did we get Paul wrong or whatever? I just wanted to read the article and on my post on my, on my Facebook page, people just were going back and forth about, no, this is what it said. This like, just talking about the Bible. Like we are, uh, and it, it, it stayed pretty uh, friendly. So I, I was pretty proud of the folks that were on my page doing that. I wasn't mad or anything like that, but still maybe a waste of like, time it, though. We, we we are so, well yeah, exactly because nothing you weren't gonna win you know what I mean you weren't gonna prove somebody different and the thing that's really crazy is I, I I was looking at that article and I started doing a little bit of research or whatever like just the idea of atonement that uh God you know allowed uh, sent His Son to die for us killed His Son allowed His Son to be killed for us is a is more of a theory than actually 
clearly in the Bible. Now, some people go, no, it is clearly in the Bible. It's this, but it wasn't even pushed as a subject or something that should be really a part of our theology until like the 1800s or something like that. Right. Like that's just a, a, just a, a thing that now we take no matter what, this is it. Jesus died for you no matter what. And that's what God is. It's you, you know, you were bad. He's good. This, and, and like, you can't even take a walk outside of that. Mm-hmm. Not, 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 you know, not run from it, not be mad at it, not be hurt from it. You can't even just walk a little bit and go, hey, what is this action? What did Jesus, you know, what what does this mean? Who was Jesus? What did Paul actually think? Was he saying this, this, and this, or was he saying that? Like, can I? Can you read? Like, it's really crazy. People are so certain, and when somebody's that certain, it almost now always means off, I don't yeah. think they truly believe it. Well, that's why I'm excited to hear. I don't think they're totally the solid and believe it. I think they're believing the rule, not the the thing they say they believe. Well, well, think think about systematic theology and what we have been handed. It came from a smart man or woman sitting there doing the best they can with the text, very smart, dissecting the Hebrew, the Greek, whatever, and then they say, yep, here's, here's what I'm getting out of it, and, and, then, and then it's systematized, and then it's passed down to seminary students, and it's taught in churches. And practicalized but it started, by mega pastors. It's... <laughs> Right, it's yeah. It started with someone trying to make sense out of confusing scriptures. Right. I mean, right. there's no no one sat down and solved a math equation with the Bible and said, "Boom, got right. it." I so totally it's not like the forefathers yeah, were doing yeah. that. Like it's not like now 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 now, Toby, you understand why. That what you just said is a very scary thought, though. Yes, when, and, when, and, yeah, right, one hundred percent. And I'm not trying to say that the the atonement isn't real. That's not what I'm even right. like. All that's like that. That's not even what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I just want to think about it. You, right. Atonement might be totally the way that God planned it and did it and everything and all that stuff. But I'm just saying, and it you seems to be the case too, right? If you, yeah. it but seems. but when somebody's so certain, like for example, some people will say, "Hey, Jesus said that." Look, red letters right there, right? But I go, "Well, wait a minute. Jesus mm-hmm. definitely didn't write." What you're right. What you're reading. He did not write that. He did not. And you're saying, well, uh, everything in the Bible. I've I've always wondered. I've said this a million times. Like, who was recording Jesus when he was in Gethsemane by himself? His prayers to God. Is that? I mean, was that di- dictated word for word? Was that exactly what? G- and people. Then you start getting real crazy. Like, well, it was God inspired, so I believe that God did. But hold on. Oh, I, I've are heard. You, I've heard you, this one for four. You know, he was. He he came back. And he stayed with people and for told 40 everybody days. what gave, he said. That hey, gave him plenty yeah. of time. That, that's just so bizarre. <laughs> it like, sense. It, it, have like, have somebody not, recount my not words in the Bible. from the podcast and write it down in a few years from now. Go ahead. Exactly, <laughs> and and that's not in the Bible that he did that. If he said, "Hey, I told everybody exactly what I said. Make sure this is recorded." Then I would go, okay, right, yeah, but it got, that's, that's not in the Bible. We're speculating right. on how certain things in the Bible were recorded or written down, and then years and years and decades later, other people wrote it and had their influence on it and their culture in it. I mean, the way we read the Bible now is very American, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's not 2,000 years ago Jewish culture. That's yeah. not how we are reading the Bible right now. And so why are we so certain and trying to shut other people down when we're just right. trying to figure out our God? So you can't— yeah, I'm I, just I, trying I made, to figure out God. I, I made some conclusions about my life, uh, and here's some certain things that I'm going to say, and you guys will call BS on it. I know I'm going to be the I'm going to be a Christian for the rest of my life. Uh, there's just no way, like e- even even if I was disgruntled and I was like, I don't even know if I, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm going to keep going. And here's something that I think maybe be a little unique for me. I feel like I'm committed to the church 
even the disgusting, vile things that I just can't stand. And and here's one thing that I really have been pondering, and I do think that there are some people that are meant to break away from the church and then point at it and say, this is messed up, people need to do something about it. And I even do a little bit of that. Yeah. But let's also... You're talking about you stand with the church on like slavery and rape and, and molestation. <laughs> Those are the things that no, you, you're okay no. with. Let, let's, let's take in, though, that every single one of us who who... You know, we were a part of that, and now we're speaking against it, saying, oh, yeah, I've left that. We were part of the problem. Totally. And when we were part of the problem, we were building the problem. Like, we helped build on the foundation. So I do find it a little Good bit stuff, bothersome Joe. for people to not only say bye-bye, but also to critique it and not also say, oh, yeah, and I was doing that too, which yeah. has sure, eternal yeah. effects. And I'll say this. I know you're committed to the church, but I'm committed to a new me. And that involves Beachbody on Demand. <laughs> How do y'all like that I segue? Love it. Woo! Uh, Jess and I used Beachbody on Demand yesterday and did yoga in her house. Didn't really feel like going to the gym, and it's just so easy, so good. Like and, it really. It and really, Jess, Jessica did the whole exercise, and you did ten percent of it. But go ahead. No, I I did all of it, <laughs> but not to her level. <laughs> because Beachbody on Demand is serious. I mean, like what's cool about it is you can kind of uh, make it personalize it to your fitness level for sure. Uh, but I wanted to see if I could keep up my, with my wife because she can do way more than me. So that's what's so cool. It, if I want to do beach body, I can make exactly how I want to do it. She can, if she wants to do beach body, she ramps it up and goes even harder and faster and better. I mean, she's amazing. So beach body on demand is an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to wide variety of highly effective world-class workouts personalized to meet your needs. Beachbody on demand is also uh, Beachbody on demand also includes extensive nutritional content, all proven to help people achieve their health and fitness goals. And Beachbody on demand is the total package to help you become the total package this year. They have familiar brands like P ninety X, Insanity, Twenty One Day Fix, T twenty five, and Three Week Yoga Retreat and Pio. They have so many. Uh, there's just so many things you can do. So many different workouts. It is really amazing. And Jess and I honestly tend to gravitate uh, to the yoga. Ones because they're so good, but I have definitely tried all the other ones too, and I, I like them all. Like I've done P90X. I mean, it, it just kind of depends on what mood I'm in. Do I want to work out hard? Do I want to do yoga? Do I want to do stretching? Do I want to do cardio? Do I want to do weights? All that stuff you can do it all with Beachbody on demand, and it's convenient. It's accessible on your computer, web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, or any other web-enabled device. No need to go to the gym or schedule a class. Everything is right there. So. You need to give this service a try. Right now, our listeners can get a free trial membership when you go to, when you text "bad Christian" all one word, no spaces, to three zero three zero three zero. Let me say that again: you will get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts and nutrition information for free. Just text "bad Christian" all one word, no spaces. "Bad Christian" to three zero three zero three zero. Excellent. Right. Nice. Do we have hey, a lot? Paul? Uh, Paul's coming on. Oh, he comes right now. Look at minutes. this, man! That oh, timing. Wow! Is good stuff. Perfect timing. That's uh, that's uh, it's a God thing. That's a God thing. I'm sure of it. <laughs> Paul, are you there? I'm here. Great. I don't see you, but I see a picture of. I'm gonna guess that's a a. Let me guess. A barn in your icon picture. Yeah. A a, a shed. <laughs> what do you call it? <laughs> it's a condominium. Condo. Yeah. A, okay. A yeah, yeah. Condo. That's it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I still got a black I, I screen. Think, I don't quite see it yet. It changed back to the uh, barn. Well, you should see me. Oh, I know why. Maybe the lights are Hold off. On. Hold on. 
There you go. You had your oh, webcam go. covered right. to keep out the FBI and the C- CIA and the whoever it is, National NSA. Tinfoil hats. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to meet you, Paul. I'll catch you up to what we've been talking yeah, about sure. in, on the episode so far. We just got into a thing about – we were talking about – we were goofing off, really, but we were talking about certainty and the Bible and how uh, – I was reflecting particularly on how when I first heard about the shack, I was at Mars Hill Church – and I believe Mark Driscoll got up there and gave us a good what for about why to <laughs> yeah. avoid that hey, heresy and all that. So we could just jump in yeah. right there. And I was just thinking how crazy it is that I was so with that. And now I'm sitting here thinking, that is insane that I, how could I, like, I'm literally trying to ask myself, how could I have thought that? It doesn't even, it doesn't make sense to me anymore that I would have been in that, even, I still was me back then. How did I think? How did I agree with that at this time and then think what I do today? And, I don't know if you get a lot of people to this on have the, that or on, not. But. On the flip side of that, my pastor, Greg Surratt, openly said that he read The Shack and liked it, and I was still like, nah, man, that's a little <laughs> too much for me. God being a woman, no way. <laughs> Fa- hey, fast forward to 2018, I was just joking, or 2017, I was just joking uh, to Toby a few months ago, Priscilla and I watched The Shack because she read it right when it came out and talked it up and everything. I literally, because I've been changing so much in my faith and it's been hard, it's been good and all that, but I'm literally watching this movie and I'm curious what you, what you think about the movie. But I'm like crying, and I'm like, I, I think that's how God is, man. Like this is unbelievable. I mean, it really was touching. Did, did you like how the movie turned out? I loved it. I thought they. It's one of the best book to screen adaptations I've ever seen. That's good. and uh, and don't be hard on Mark. Mark sold more books for me than almost any other single <laughs> person. On is that? Do you remember that? Like when that happened, Ding. that people were coming out public. Like like, were you paying attention? And oh, did yeah. you care? How did that feel? I I didn't care. In fact, you know, the people that are upset are almost all my own people, mm-hmm. evangelical <laughs> fundamentalists. So, you know, you be careful how you talk about them. And uh, they, uh, I understand them. And when they come and they're upset about something, they're not coming to tell me about me, right? Because mm-hmm. I know who I am, but they don't. And if I'm not at risk in the conversation, I can step into it. And I'm not at risk in those conversations. My identity is not in their opinion. I, I have this great line that, I don't know, a few weeks back, is that your opinion of me is none of my business. Right? Oh, I like that. Gosh, I need that. Yeah, and here's another one. And this is one that I think is right from the Holy Spirit. The only time you'll find God in a box is because he wants to be where we are. Mm-hmm. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's I'm yeah, writing this down. Good. Your opinion of me <laughs> is none of my business. Well, if you think, if you take that a little bit farther and think about it, it's um, it's it's kind of almost. Uh, I guess that's what we define sometimes as manipulation when somebody else is trying to cause you to have X view of them. That's like, that's like them messing with you in a way, right? So to be well, understood only correctly, if, only you, know, if you let them. Yeah, but I mean, if I wanted to make you feel a certain way about me then I'm I'm having to act and do and manipulate things anyway. So it, it, it's really none of my business is a better way to think. Like, don't even try to control what other people think about you. It, you, you know, it's that's a waste of time. And maybe you're doing something unethical to even try to cause the perception of you to be a different way than and is you authentic. Know, when someone like, like Mark or any of us, uh, we come with our own set of presuppositions and assumptions in a paradigm, right? And... Um, he he's coming to tell me 
in the only language he knows how about what matters to him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and my people, we're not good communicators. When we feel that our shame is coming to the surface, or our hidden uncertainty, or or the ambiguity of faith, any of those kinds of things begins to shift for us, then we begin to get scared. And our method of communication is just to raise our voice or to begin to assassinate character. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you keep saying, and you keep saying, my people. I think originally when you said that, you meant evangelical fundamentals. Gotcha, You're, gotcha. You are a yeah. self-described fundamentalist. Well, those are. It's where I grew up. Yeah. I grew right. up the same way that you know that most of us did, and uh, yeah, that yeah. come from the Bible Belt. And so, um, I just don't want anybody left behind, as it were. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and. We're on the cusp of a new reformation, a new way of thinking, and it's challenging the very paradigms. This is why you're in such a transition between mm-hmm. uh, a one way of looking at the world and a completely seemingly different way of looking at the world. Yeah. Uh, deconstruction, reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And as you said, it's a really hard process. Are, do you have uh, any? You must have been thinking about this, uh, obviously, ahead of me, but uh, I still feel like. And I don't mean I've got anything figured out. It's just my set of experiences. But I'm pretty sure we're still on the front edge of people going through similar transitions and thinking about things like this and wondering how they used to think, what they thought, and where they're at now. I still feel like we've just seen the beginning of that. Do you have any kind of sense of that? Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I think we're not only on the cusp, the front edge of – we don't need revival, right? We don't need – new life into old stuff. We actually need to change the way we think. And it's not, it's not new. What's, what I'm finding it is that most of us, it goes back to Orthodox mm-hmm. early church theology centered on relationship, the Trinity, you know, none of them wrote a systematic theology and they wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. If they did, they'd started with the relationship inside the Trinity and they'd ended up with the relationship inside the Trinity. Now, what if somebody said, no, Paul was systematic? I mean, just read his stuff, man. It was confusing, and he was smart. I mean, I— I, oh, I think I think he's very logical, and, and he's systematic in that way. Yeah. But he didn't start with, you know, uh, let's put the Trinity on page 745, yeah. subparagraph B12, you know? Yeah, so yeah. that and, Joey uh, will know what to do on Thursday afternoon after prayer group and have, you know, yeah. with the yeah, people in yeah. Charleston. Good, that, that's not the purpose. Figuring out what movie to go see, right? right. Yeah. All right. I love when I get to talk about Indochino Custom Menswear. Awesome company. I wish I would have known about them a long time ago because when I bought my first suit, it didn't fit me that well. I mean, it was all of my measure, you know, measurements and sizes and all that stuff. But bottom line is the suit wasn't made for me. So to be quite honest, my wife loves me, but she wasn't even really that impressed when I put the suit on. I didn't really feel that good, but I have to have a suit for funerals and weddings and that sort of thing. And dudes, I'll just go ahead and clue you in on something We look better in suits. It's probably good to have one. But anyway, let me tell you about Indochino. It's the largest custom apparel company. They make suits and shirts made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Uh, I love the high-quality fabrics and the option to personalize all the details, uh, including the lapel, jacket lining. On my jacket lining, on the interior, it's floral, super pretty. And then on the inside pocket, it says Clemson Tigers kick Gamecock ass. Nobody sees that, but I know it's there, and I love it. And then I do get some 
laughs when I show people. It's just cool to kind of be able to do whatever you want with your suit. You pick your fabric, choose your customizations, you submit your measurements, then you place your order and you wait for three weeks or less. And that bad boy fits you how a suit should fit you. So you can shop online at Indochino.com or visit any of their showrooms across North America. So this week, our listeners get any premium Indochino suit for $359 at Indochino.com when entering Bad Christian at checkout. If you're not familiar with suits, let me tell you this. That is an unbelievable price. 50% off regular price for a premium made-to-measure suit. The shipping's free, so go to Indochino.com. Promo code Bad Christian for any premium suit, $359 plus free shipping, incredible deal for a perfectly tailored suit. So so where where are we going as a church? Like, do you think that because um it Matt's a little bit different from Toby and I, we definitely came from the fundamentalist evangelical upbringing. Um, a lot of the people that we're still close to are are still right there. Do you think that that over time is going to be seen as, I can't believe we all used to be that way as Christians, or I can't believe how our grandparents thought, you know, speaking, our grandkids talking about us, like, will it be gone? The whole, we got to have everything figured out, and we have dibs on ultimate reality. Everybody else is wrong, but we've got our stuff together. Yeah, I think it's 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 definitely never going to be totally gone as long as there are people who are scared, you know, because you, you hold on to certainty when you don't want to take the risk of actually trusting. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's always going to be some of that. But as a as a community of faith, you're going to watch that continue to crumble. I'm an optimist about that. Yeah. And um and as that system begins to fall apart, what is emerging is really living faith inside mm-hmm. the the hearts and minds and and the flesh of human beings. And I I love the younger generation. I love your generation and those younger than you. My I have six kids that are millennials and uh and um I'm it gives me great optimism. I know you got some of your own issues, but overall, you're not you're not stuck in holding on to the systems of mm-hmm. of history. You know, the information age has knocked down the walls in so many respects, right. and you just can't cloister your little ideology anymore. I'm glad to hear. So that. when you when you first when you first wrote the shack, were you exploring different theological, philosophical things and and kind of expanding your ways of thinking, or was it merely you were still an evangelical fundamentalist and you were using imagination and telling a story? Like where were you then? And then I'm really curious how much you've changed since then. So the shack is really an expression of a 50-year journey for me. I'm a missionary kid and a preacher's kid, right? So I had further to go than most people. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so 50 years of trying to dismantle, at least ask good questions, which have have been my blessing and my curse at the same time, um, because good questions are not really allowed inside my circles. And uh, <laughs> uh, But I'd asked them my whole life. Plus, I had some great tragedy as a child. I had a very difficult relationship with my dad. He was um, an angry young preacher who came out of the logging camps and into Bible school and went straight to mission field, right? And he and he had been orphaned and 
come, came from a huge dysfunctional family himself. So he carried all this anger with him, but didn't know what to do with it. Part of a generation that didn't know they had baggage mm-hmm. and wouldn't have known what to do with it if they'd have known. And, right. uh, and then you add to that sexual abuse that happened in the tribal culture, that happened in missionary boarding school, the sense of being absolutely disenfranchised from any sense of belonging, both culturally, even color. Um, so you tie that in into a performance environment that the evangelical community offers you. And, and I'm not knocking everything about my heritage. I'm not at all. There are some really good things that, that came out of it. But overall, it was about performance. It wasn't mm-hmm. about relationship, even though they used the language of relationship. It wasn't about actual trust. As long as you knew what you were supposed to do, you didn't actually have to trust God because God was ambivalent anyway. And at the end of the day, was going to judge you anyway. Performance, so, totally. That's, that's yeah. right on. So my whole journey, um, when people have asked me why I wrote The Shack, I wrote it for my kids because I didn't want them to grow up with the God that I did. You know, the distant omni being, the darkness behind Jesus, you know, God, the father that Jesus came to save me from. And, uh, and, and that God never showed up and didn't heal one thing in my life. And, um, and I'm going like, okay, so I've got this whole destroyed world. And then I'm starting to damage the people in my life because I don't know what to do with the damage in my heart and all of that, uh, Plus, the questions kept driving me in a direction that challenged pretty much everything that I'd grown up with. Well, look, Not that I have left everything that really pushed me into places that my peers were at at the time. So the book is really an expression of that journey, not an expression of, of trying to get there. It's like <laughs> it took me 50 years to finally become a child. It took me 50 years to wipe the face of my father off the face of God. It took me 50 years to get to the place where I actually believed that God was good all the time. I'm kind of intrigued and, of how Paul, dang, dang it, you wrote the shack and that one got me emotional. Now you got to have me yeah. tearing up right now too. My I God. <laughs> I, see, just, I mean, hey, it's unbelievable. We're, we're ten, what, you can we're you make every human on earth and, cry? <laughs> like you have that, <laughs> We all need to cry more. We don't know how to lament very well. I agree. When I was a lot of so, us who come from our history, we we don't know how to grieve where we've been. I mean, 100%. it really hurt us. And we ended up hurting a lot of people in our worlds. And then we hurt the community of humanity yeah. in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we need to cry about some of that. I totally agree. I, I work with a lot of men and we have really lost our ability to mourn and grieve. Like we, we, we don't know how to process. And then we end up just carrying it with us. Like you said, like for the longest time you carry it and all you can do is be mad at something or you don't even know what you're mad at. Is it God? Is it your parents? Is it, you know, all those things for sure. I, I would say one thing for me, I, I'm exactly like Matt. Uh, I worked at Mars Hill and I was, I thought, oh, well, everybody's saying that this thing is heresy and I'm just not going to read it. And and then uh, my views have 100% changed too. But I realized today, so uh, this morning I actually watched The Shack uh, and and was following along with some of the, the, the book along with it just to see how close it was. I wanted to see how accurate and, you know, and you said, I, I actually do think it's, it's a really good adaptation of the of your book but i realized even now i was still it 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 really does challenge me i was still a little uncomfortable that the the characters they 
they didn't look like me. They didn't act like me. Like I, I was I suddenly stunned at how conditional my God is. You know what I mean? Like, like God is, is a God of conditions. Like he, if he meets these conditions, oh yeah, that's my God. Like I would have never chose those, those characters. I, mine would have been like Bruce uh, Willis as God and, and, you know, Aziz Ansari <laughs> as Jesus and Ellen as the Holy Spirit or something. You know, that's I would have, ne- people, you know, I, humor or tough or whatever, I would have never chosen them. And I was like, wait a minute, this, my God isn't me. You know, God, God is something that I, that I, I don't, it doesn't matter if I'm comfortable with it. What it's actually revealing is where I am weak or where I don't trust. Or, and, and I thought that was such a beautiful picture for the first time. And that is what was so neat and revealing to me today is you d- created something and really put time and effort to it and really made art and, a, and, and the art of storytelling. And now I look back on it and people just go, he made a woman God. Like, like that's what they diminished your whole story. And that's what we do to Jesus, right? Isn't that what we're doing? Isn't that what we're doing to the Bible too? Well, uh, no, it's just this. Yeah, we have a very little Jesus and we have a God that is a projection of our, our own narrow perspectives. And, uh, you know, <sighs> imagery was never intended to define God to begin with. This is why you have imagery and metaphor all over the map. You have God as a burning bush. You have God as a nursing mother in Isaiah, uh, a mother bear in Habakkuk. You've got God being called the breasted one, El Shaddai. Um, but, you know, I, I say it's probably a Baptist translator couldn't say the word breast without sinning. So uh, <laughs> came, came up with Lord of hosts or something, you know. And, uh, you know, there is uh, there is so much of what we bring to the table that that is the pair of glasses through which we see. And I'm convinced that largely the work of the Holy Spirit is to, to change our prescription so that we can see things that are actually true. And it's scary. Um, freedom is scary. Freedom feels irresponsible for those of us who've grown up in a religious environment. Yeah, yeah. You know, we just like, well, if, if I don't have the rigor of the law, then I'm just going to become yeah. the perverted, mm-hmm. crass, lazy human being that I actually believe that I am. And here, here is a very critical issue. Wholeness, wholeness for us as individuals, as human beings. Wholeness is when the way of our being matches the truth of our being. When the way of our being, how we live our lives, matches the truth of our being. So what is the truth of our being? And a lot of us who grew up within the religious community, we were told that the truth of your being is that you're a piece of shit. That's what the truth of your being is, that you're worthless, that you're totally depraved. Well, let me tell you, how do you avoid just covering that up to perform some sense of righteousness if you believe that that's the truth of your being? You have nothing to build on. But if you begin to realize that the truth of your being is everything that God has said is true about him, that is kindness, goodness, patience, joy, uh, uh, purity of heart, I tell you, what will break pornography in your life is not self-discipline, which is a work of the flesh. It is changing your view of who you are. And when you begin to agree with God that the truth of your being is that you're pure of heart, the way of your being will naturally match it. It can't match it if you're just a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. And, um, this becomes an absolutely central thing. This is part of the inheritance that we have as evangelicals that was so destructive, is that we were told that, you know, all you have to do is you're trying to climb out of the slime. Um, yeah. 
uh, of your shame and everything's about covering up and self-protection. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of the response that you get in terms of, of the shack or anything else is people's shame coming through as anger and all, and they're scared. They're just trying to protect themselves. Yeah. Well, one of the things you're, you're, you're exactly right too, is that we, re- then we end up relying on things that aren't, uh, are just easy ways of, of describing our God. For example, like you said, if you if you think of yourself as just a terrible person, a evil, just piece of shit, terrible person, then you blame that, you know, for your sins or whatever. Then you know, you know what I mean. Like you it said, also well, this, gives oh, this you is a way out. Exactly. This is my nature. Or like one of the things that it really struck me, and, and I, I don't know if this exact line was in the your books. I tried to find it, but it it uh, they ask him around the campfire is uh, why is Jesus just a legend or, you know, is that, is it just made up or whatever? And he goes, uh, how do you, you know, is it true? And he goes, well, yeah, it's true. It's in the Bible. And I've been told that, like I, that, that was an answer for me. It's in the yeah. Bible. And I went, oh, well, okay. So that just, all the work's done. You know, I can, I can wring my hands. I don't have to think about it anymore. It's in the Bible. So that's the, I didn't wrestle with God anymore about it. Or at least I, for at the, that time I moved on and go, well, you know, that's just what it is. That, 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 so that's, that's the end of the story right there. And it took away so much of the story for me. Yeah. And it's not, it's not just, uh, it's in the Bible. It's in what you told me is in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's not necessarily actually what's there. It's, it's somebody's interpretation of what's there. How how do you get away from that? I've I've been thinking that thought for the last couple of years that my God was, uh, is my father's God and his father's like, how how do you break some of that cycle? Like, like you said, cause you you grew up the same way. We both grew up in evangelical, very conservative. My, the church I grew up in, Paul was like, uh, very conservative, very small backwoods, Southern churches. Women didn't wear jewelry. My parents didn't wear wedding rings, no makeup, couldn't go see movies, all the very oppressive. I would still say good people. Like you said, there's still good things. And I'm, and there's no doubt. no so many doubt. things I've gleaned from it and I'm happy about, but how do I pull out how, how, or how did you pull out some of that stuff, that oppressive stuff or the things that just didn't sit right with you? How, how have you gotten to where you are kind of progressing towards even understanding more about God? It's a great question. And I think it, it's, oh, I think you should listen more to rap music is what I think. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the, and I say that because you've got to expose yourself to things that are outside of your own tradition. And, and the beauty of, of music, just to use that as an example, is that it can touch you regardless of the person's intent or place they are in their life. Or, you know, it's like a friend of mine, Baxter, who, Baxter Kruger, who's a theologian uh, from Mississippi. He says, there is a reason why Presbyterian elders and pastors will go to an Elton John concert and raise their hands, which would, they would never do in a church, because even though they are absolutely disagreeing in their own minds with the lifestyle of this artist, there is something that he has tapped into in terms of their humanity that is sparking something within them. Yeah. So you pay attention to that. You pay attention to the things that bring life to you. And you're going to find that a lot of them are outside of your culture. Also, follow the questions, right? get comfortable with the, with the, uh, what's the term that they use the, um, where there's a conflict within your own mind, the cognitive dissonance yeah, yeah, of, of this transition, because it's going to be there. It's in fact, it's so important. God won't change you without your participation. Uh, God has too much respect for you as a human being. You're too high order creation. 
for God to simply change your mind. And uh, so your participation is absolutely essential. What does that mean? I don't know. Become aware of what's right in front of you and, and the conflicts that are in your own heart. Uh, the difference between your inside world and what you desire to be versus how you actually live your life into the world. Pay attention to that difference. Yeah, you said that um, when you were about to write the, or when you did write the shack, you had gone through all that. And you, you actually said, I had already started believing at that point that God was always good. But I bet you, you rub shoulders with people and fundamentalists uh, evangelicalism that said God is good all the time. So what what was that transition? What do you mean by now you believe that God truly is good? What, he doesn't send people to hell, or he doesn't pour out his wrath? I mean, what does that mean, that he's good all the time, and now you really believe that? Yeah, no. We used to say it at the same time as that we didn't actually trust God. We still trusted our ability to scramble, to manipulate relationships. You know, it's just like, well, you can say it all you want, and then when something comes along in life and, and hits you sideways, are you going to trust? What are you going to trust? You know, to the degree that there's fear in your life, to that degree, you don't know that you're loved. And you can't love someone that you don't believe is actually good all the time, that God's intentions are good, and that God is not some kind of a being who has a different, deep uh, standard of goodness within God's own character it, that that doesn't match ours. You know, you look, if any of you have kids and the way that you love your children, wait till you have grandchildren. That'll screw your theology all up, right? <laughs> About all kinds of things, because the way you love your children and your grandchildren is beyond comprehension. It is not rational. And what does that say? That that it, Where does that kind of love originate? Where does that kind of goodness and desire for the best for them originate? And, and where do all those kinds of aspirations originate? Um, my desire to be authentic, my desire to be a truth teller, my desire to that my, my presentation be coherent with what is true about me on the inside. Uh, integrity, faithfulness, kindness. Where do those things come from? And, and why am I pushed in those directions toward community? not towards isolation. Why does shame and, and um, lying and all of the addiction, why do they all push me toward isolation? And, and as you begin to have a, a vision of God, and God is actually good, that in fact, everything that is good originates, according to Jesus, from God, right? Why he says that to the rich young ruler, not, and he's not trying to say, I'm not good. He's saying, you're coming to ask me about performance. I want to talk to you about the goodness of God. Do you, do you see in me, little brother, goodness? Because all goodness originates in God. Is that what you're seeing? So let's talk about that. So he wants to change the whole conversation. The rich young ruler, he just wants to talk about performance. And yeah. he's like, no, this is a different conversation. And, and my journey to, to trust God was a journey to discover that God is actually good all the time. And that meant I had to question all kinds of things. Now, I, I believe in the wrath of God in the sense that God is a fiery fury that is opposed to everything in my life that keeps me from being fully free and fully alive. And I believe that because I have that same experience for my kids and my grandkids. I am opposed to everything in their lives that keeps them from being fully free and fully human. And 
That, that fury is for them. It is never against them. And it's never based on performance. Um, I've got a daughter who's been fighting a brain tumor for 10 years. I am opposed to that little thing. And, and even more so, I'm opposed to the lie that introduced into her life this idea that she was damaged goods, that that's what her identity was. You give me the opportunity to be a fiery flame of fury, and I'd go in there and not just rip that sucker out. I would go and destroy the lie because it keeps my daughter from being fully human and fully alive. Is it because she's failed to live up to some expectations of perfection? Not at all. That's got nothing to do with it. It is because I am always for her. That's the goodness of God. And that's what I believe. So all these other conversations are then wrapped inside of a conversation about a God who is good, that nothing, God never originates evil. He doesn't take life. He doesn't originate evil in any sense. So how does that change the conversation? And what does that mean about who we are as human beings? For one, it means that God has a huge respect for us because God continues to submit to the evil that we bring to the table. That's crazy. But the cross is the best evidence of a God who will submit to our devastation. God doesn't go around creating crosses. That is not something that God originates. We did that, and God submitted to it, and by submitting to it, not only destroyed its power, but transformed a torture device into an icon and a monument of grace. That's miraculous to me. Now, that's that's just crazy how you said that, too. yeah, think, thinking about—sorry, Joy, I, I, I did want to say one thing. Think, uh, uh, I might have lost y'all, sorry. No, I got uh, you. Uh, I was just going to say, thinking about God's wrath in the sense of for you, that no one ever taught me that. Yeah, that I, I I, when you, when, my entire life, wrath was against us because we were bad and deserved, exactly. deserved wrath. And that, exactly. that, that, that picture that you're painting there is just so true. Like, that's what I— the thing that is so uh, uh, beautiful about the sh- the shack, and, and I'll just I've, I've said this before, but just uh, give you a little bit of a personal story. I've only I've, I've spoken in tongues one time in my life. Grew up in a church that spoke tongues. I faked it because I thought I was had to when I was eleven. I did it like three times, and then eventually was able to just scoot away and not have to do it anymore. And I was by myself one time, and I, I had a experience just for me. Whatever anybody else thinks about speaking tongues, that's, that's fine. I, I'm not, you know, maybe I'm cuckoo. But uh, I spoke in tongues, said these words that I didn't even know what I was saying. It was more like syllables and vowels and consonants. And then I uh, uh, felt like impressed on my forehead was the word forgiveness. And at the time, I'm in a band, Paul, called uh, Emery, and our album was getting ready to come out. And I thought I had spoken in tongues because I thought it was going to be a humongous record. We we're going to make lots of money and all this. Stuff. And I totally forgot about the forgiveness thing. Like I didn't even pay attention to that. Right? I literally thought, yeah. man, God, I just spoke in tongues. That means this record is going to be huge and influential. And all this. I, I totally went personal, right? And ever since then, God's been revealed. Wait a minute. You remember that forgiveness thing, right? Just little bits, just little bits. And when I was watching your movie, I just appreciated so much that journey was man, you're carrying all this stuff. It, it wasn't about like, like the idea of like, man, it, that, that hell is right there with you're carrying hate and not forgiving and not, I mean, all that stuff, like, especially just like when I was thinking about my own daughter and if, if that story happened, like if I were to lose my, I have a four-year-old daughter. If I were to lose her, I would be so mad at God. I just, I mean, that, that exact story is exactly how I would feel. Like, I, like you, you did this God. You know what I mean, and, and then I would carry it with me. That that it would almost yeah. feel like it's, it's safe or something like that. Like that that hate and that anger, my wrath against God is against Him. You know what I mean? Like I, my yeah. wrath wouldn't be for God, 
And so that, that, that's why it was so revealing to, wait, where, what is my heart actually like? I mean, what, if something happens like, you know, that I don't understand, I, my wrath becomes against everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And God seems to be the easiest target. And, yeah. and we, because partly because we've been told that God is in control of all these things. And so when bad things happen, then God is the fundamentally one who is at fault. And it's like, oh, that's a very, very low view of humanity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very low yeah. view of what it means to be human. It's as if our choices actually don't matter. God is just uh, arbitrarily making decisions and playing with human beings' lives. And it's yeah. not true. We live in a web of human decisions, and God works inside of that, co-creating with us ways for life to grow in the death that we bring. And it's kind of miraculous, and it happens over and over and over. This is quite interesting to me to hear. Not interesting, it's just restorative to hear. I mean, because so many people spend so much time in what you call deconstruction. I call it that too, I suppose. But a lot of that is obviously comes from a place of analyzing and criticizing. And to hear you speak so many positive things in the midst of that is very, very encouraging. And it it makes me really want to know more. I've got to know a little bit more about you personally, because the story you described growing up and where you've ended up, is not the odds, as you I'm sure know, like to to have a kind of background you have, and then to come to this place of where you're at now how did that how did that work out because how are you not just another statistic of a a rough childhood in fundamentalism yeah you know part part of that is i married up like all men don't have a choice to do but marry up and uh you know i've um i took a lot of hard work my world basically deconstructed or blew up when I was 38, uh, we had six children. Um, uh, January 4th, 94 begins the real odyssey toward dealing with my own world. It's one thing to live in your head, like a lot of us are taught, especially men, is that uh, you just live in your head. So you defend yourself from, from the head and uh, where everything below the neck is broken. The heart's broken. The uh, uh, sexuality is broken. You know, uh, so we stay hidden. But as long as we can be smart and literate and witty and yeah. and all of that, then that becomes our defense, our defensive posture. Um, and I was I, I presented myself as a very intelligent rationalist. Um, uh, at the same time, I'm still all my whole life. I've been pursuing the the character and the nature of a relationship with God. It, Jesus was the only one who ever was consistently present in my life. Uh, when everything else disappeared, and um, and so that was my 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 handhold that I couldn't let go of, and um, so January fourth, I get a phone call from Kim, who I'm married to now, thirty eight years, um, and she says, um, "I'm waiting for you at your office, and I know, and and what I know that she knows is that she's just caught me in a three month affair with one of my best one of her best friends, and." Um, and at that point, it was you either face it and you own it or you run. And I had a whole history of running. And, um, and I chose not to run. I hit the bottom. Um, and it almost killed me. And it took Kim and I 11 years to heal. 11 years of deconstructing pretty much everything that I thought I knew and believed, as well as doing the therapeutic work and 
uh, investigating my own heart and climbing into the depths of trying to figure out why was I as messed up as I was. And that 11-year journey, um, and there's so much detail that you know we can't cover, but that 11-year journey is what pushed me to the place where finally, at the age of 50, I felt for the first time that I'd become a child. I'd never been a child, you know, and children by nature know how to trust. Um, and, and they trust until someone teaches them that it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so I'd never been a child. And finally, I'm at a place where I have no addictions in my life. I have no secrets. There's nothing in my world that is, a, is hidden from Kim or my kids or my friends or uh, I just don't. And I'm the same person in every situation. I love I don't that. need the shack for identity and work. Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't even know it was possible. So 50 years and, and I'm like, I'm at a place where I'm, I'm totally good. I was working three jobs. I was cleaning toilets and shipping out soldering tips and working for a food manufacturing company and riding the train. And Kim, Kim was the one who had said, you know, someday as a gift for our kids, would you just please write something that puts in one place how you you think because you think outside the box. And, and so I got it done, made 15 copies at Office Depot. Six went to the kids. Kim got a copy and the rest I gave to my friends and I went back to work. Not one time did it cross my mind to publish it. And it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't until my friends started giving it away that that whole conversation started up. And then it was, it was just craziness, but it was, it was, I was at a place in my life where I didn't need it. Right. I was working three jobs. We lived in 900 square feet, feet of usable rental house. Um, but I, I was in a season where I had discovered that the opposite of more is enough that I'm surrounded by. And I'd always been surrounded by enough, but fear had always driven me into trying to accomplish imaginations that didn't exist rather than live inside the grace of one day. And so now I live inside the grace of one day, yeah. regardless of what's in front of me. Well, thank you for and sharing that. In that simplicity. That, oh my gosh. It's, a, it's the only way, right? So, Well, people don't, don't act like it's the only way. I mean, like you, you, you touched on the notion there of, of having no secrets. I, I use the language sometimes here of uh, being fully integrated or whatever. Same thing. It's just like you know who you are and everybody else knows who you are. And this podcast is partly an exercise in that. Because I know we come from the sure. performance world of being in music and church leadership and these things, and I could sense it, yeah. and I just, you know, I, I, I had to fight against that kind of thing. So that's an active exercise for us is to make us look bad or stupid on air. That's kind of the, the impetus for this whole podcast in a way. And it's just so important. Yeah. I don't think people – I just don't think people realize that. And I'm telling you, that that role of head pastor or local pastor or campus pastor, it – just puts a whole trap on you. It's just such a bad position to be in if if you seek to be fully integrated or have no secrets. Like it's just, oh, you know, it's, it's crazy. a horrible place. Yeah. And then it's, people feel that all the way the down the chain to the volunteers. And, have. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And and we build whole structures and systems based on that. And it's not it's not trust. It's a it's fear based, mm-hmm. and it's shame based. And uh, and then we wonder why it begins to fall apart, and it does. You know, I tell people two things about the shack that matter to me. One is the first 15 copies that I gave away did everything I ever wanted that book to do. Everything. And the second thing is that everything that matters to me was in place before I wrote the book. 
identity, worth, value, significance, security, meaning, purpose, destiny, community, love, all in place before I wrote the book. So the book hasn't added any of that to me. What it has given to us as a gift has been an invitation into the holy ground of other people's stories. That's what it's done. And I, I tell you, to, to be in front of human beings and them tell me some of their story, who they are as a person, it's, it's holy ground. I, I tell people it's why I think we're born barefoot, right? We're, we're to walk on the ground of other people's stories. And all of these connections and weavings begin to happen. And if you're not future tripping, if you're not running into imaginations that, that don't exist, for identity and worth and value and all that. You get to be present to see what's actually happening right in front of you. And it's pretty amazing, pretty astounding. Tough sometimes, but really beautiful. Too beautiful for words. Yeah. You know, you, you know, it's crazy. And I think a lot of people have experienced this, maybe you guys too. But even in the course of, since me, Matt, and Toby uh, signed on and we've been talking and, and, you know, we talk about faith stuff and, you know, things that challenge me and, um, you know, certainty and how that wasn't intent, just all of that stuff. I can literally in five minutes go from still at this point being really scared and like, gosh, I, you know, I just, man, if I, if I let go of this, then, you know, I, you know, I don't know what I believe and I feel so insecure. And then five minutes later, I can feel so free and refreshed to be like, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to know everything and I can trust and I can just, you know, submit myself to God and say, Lord, whatever you want me to know, please tell me. Otherwise, I'm just I'm just going to trust. I mean, it's just so crazy. And I, I just hopefully over time, I can shed the fear completely and just be in in that position of of vulnerability to God. Um, did you did I read correctly that recently you got some flack for uh doubting or disagreeing with like penal substitution or am I Oh no, that that's I I've, I've been disagreeing with that for a long time. So I'd love not, to hear more about that's that. Not, okay. That's so not that's not recent, recent at all. Okay. No. Gotcha. No, no, no. I've been I've been hammered for that for a while. I I think penal sub hey, I think penal substitution is one of the most uh, dysfunctional, if not diabolical, theories of atonement that has ever been presented to the human race, and uh, because it splits the Trinity. And if that if that's not bad enough, right? It it puts uh, it demands a different character between God as Father and Jesus. It mm -hmm. totally says that. These are of different character, that somehow God the Father needs to be appeased in a way that Jesus does not. And therefore, you have a split within the very being of God. And it creates this idea that, well, how can you believe that God can be actually good all the time if he can abandon that which is most precious to him even once? The idea that... God the Father is pouring out his fury on Jesus. And, and, you know, usually attached to penal substitution is limited atonement, that there's only a few people that God has actually saved. The early church says that's not true at all, that all of creation is created in Christ, that you won't find a person who is not in Christ because they would lapse into non-being, because there's nothing created outside of God, because there is nothing outside of God. You know, those are very simple fundamentals 
that we weren't told. Yeah. We weren't even allowed to ask questions about them. So a lot of what we were presented as penal substitution, that somebody's got to pay, and God the Father is distant. He's the omni-being, uh, unapproachable, unreachable, unknowable, the, the darkness behind Jesus that Jesus comes to appease. So Jesus comes to protect us from that wrath of God the Father, right? right and right. so it's, it's like, plus, who knows where the Holy Spirit is in this whole dysfunctional family? You've got, <laughs> you've got an abusive father who's abusing the son, right, uh, who's innocent, and what's the Holy Spirit doing, trying to protect the son from the father, or is it an enabler of the father's fury against the son? I mean, it's just like the whole thing is just nuts to me. And the more that I've worked on it, the more nuts it appears to be. What does but that land you in? It has been such. Yeah, give us the what, what is the like, what ca- heretic the category does that get you into? Universalist or something? Oh, oh, I get into the universalist category all the time, and um, and that's a whole different conversation. But you were asking me about where does this put me in terms of the crucifixion? That that God never needed a sacrifice to begin with. We did. We're the ones that demanded a sacrifice. And so God submits to it. The cross is something that originates with us, not with God. And God knows if I create this high order being, they're going to say no. You know, if, if there was a way to create the universe with a being that had the ability to say no and them not say no, we would be in it. Right? We're in the best universe that God can create. We're in it. We are it. Right? That's a different perspective, right? There's no plan B here. And so Jesus is slain from the foundation of the world, knowing that this is where the human race is going to take us. Right? They're going to create this torture device that becomes the iconic symbol of our willingness to kill one another in the most horrendous kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And what God is going to do is submit to it. This is a God who submits by nature. This is about the relationship of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit from before time. Right? They've always loved in mutuality. But they've never lost their, their personhoods either. The Father never becomes the Son. The Son never becomes the Spirit. Right? So God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit submit to what we bring to the table. And we kill them. And, and God does not abandon his son. We, we say, well, what about my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, verse 1. Read the whole psalm. Psalm 22 ends with, he finished it. And halfway through it says, you do not despise the affliction of the afflicted, nor will you turn your face from him. And when he cries, you'll hear. Well, we think God turns his face away because he can't look on sin. That comes from Habakkuk. Read the whole verse. Habakkuk says, God, you are so beautiful. You are so amazing that you couldn't look on sin. So why do you? The second half of the verse is, so why do you? If you're so beautiful, how can you? And not only that, it says that Jesus not only is anthropos, human, but sarks, flesh, and Paul says, become sin for us. How does that happen yeah. if Jesus is God? You know, and, and therefore, what you have in the crucifixion is God coming to the deepest place of our darkness, our fist in the face of God, and using our desire 
to, to destroy life himself as the basis for our adoption. There is nothing deeper we can bring to the table anymore. This is why I think Jesus comes as a male, because he's got to come to where the deepest loss is. And through one man, male, sin entered the world, not through her. And therefore, he's got to come for all of us. If he comes as a woman, he doesn't pick up the rest of us through whom sin entered the world. Right. So all of these things are wrapped into uh, a bigger perspective. And you end up with a much bigger Jesus. In evangelicalism, we had a very little Jesus. He was just a response to Adam, and he wasn't even a very uh, accurate or uh, efficacious response. So Adam is able to kind of screw up the entire universe, but Jesus is only able to save a few. Mm -hmm. So the early church would not have ever said that the gospel is the good news that you can receive Jesus into your life. The early church would have said the gospel is the declaration that Jesus has received you into his life, into his relationship with the Father, into his anointing in the Holy Spirit. And he did it without your, without your vote, except if you count your vote to kill him as your vote. That's the only vote that you, that you utilized. And he used your vote to kill him as the basis for your adoption. He says you're mine. So salvation then becomes, this is why I get called a universalist, because I believe in universal salvation. That is that everyone was included. Corinthians 5, Romans 5, Galatians 3, that when he died, we all died. When he rose, we rose. So the question is no longer about the event of salvation, it is about relationship. And relationship is always conditional. My children, they can say no to being my children. It doesn't change their ontology. They will always be my child. But if they say they don't want to have any contact with me, it absolutely changes the relationship. This is about relationship. And this is about a God who will never stop pursuing you because you're his. And he loves you. And that means post-mortem. That pursuit will continue to take place. Does it mean that everyone will ultimately be reconciled back to God? I hope so. But I don't know. I um I don't know. You don't think it's an automatic says, ticket for right? Hitler and Jimi Hendrix to go to heaven with us if they don't want to? Is, you know, or, or 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 religious people? Right. 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 Mm-hmm. So it's it's like you know if there's now I don't under, I don't understand how you reconcile that with yeah I, I thought just a second ago you said that you did think that everyone would be reconciled to God. What what, what am I missing? Here? No, I didn't say that. Okay. I said, I hope that's true. Why wouldn't you hope that's true? Right, right. You know, gotcha. but it's like and, the kid uh, thing. That, and, I thought that was really helpful and illuminating to me. Your kids can choose to never talk to you again, ever. That's the, that is their choice, and that affects the relationship, right? But that doesn't mean that they and it, they always can. Also, that'll be their choice. Correct. They, they are and your children, no matter what. You love them, no matter what. You didn't say screw them. Eventually, after they stopped wanting to talk to you. They're just correct. That's up to them. Or you so have, that means or you, people you won't have be five them. chances, right? Ten thousand yeah, chances, and then chances. he's done with you. That never happens. It's just some people no. may not participate or be in heaven, and some people will never talk to their natural father again. That's their choice. You can't force that. It doesn't change the fact that he loves them and that he's your father, kind of thing. And hell, hell is not separation. There mm-hmm. is no separation. There's never been separation. That is a fundamental lie of religious systems. Religion needs separation. Every religion on the planet starts with separation. And, uh, but Jesus never starts with separation. It's about 
you know, you're in me and I'm in you. And, uh, and all of creation is created in Christ. Not anything that has come into being has come into being apart from him. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And Jesus's right. words on hell or Gehenna or gnashing of teeth refer to what? So here's an interesting thing. Uh, there's a book by Brad Jerzak, he's a theologian out of British Columbia, and it's called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. Best book on hell out there right now, if anybody wants to read something. And, um, but he, he, one of the things that Brad does so well as a scholar is he tracks the uh, view of Jeremiah versus the view of the, of the traditional rabbis. Traditional rabbis had a much more um, similarity to hell as eternal conscious torment, uh, but Jeremiah didn't. Jeremiah is the one that introduces Lake of Fire, Gehenna, all these, all these pictures. And Jeremiah used it as cleansing, always as cleansing. In fact, every reference about judgment um, in Scripture is, a, is restorative in intent. Every one of them. There is a word in the Greek that is not restorative. It's just retributive and punitive. It's only used for human beings. It's never used for God. All the rest of them are restorative. It's, what's fascinating is that when Jesus talks about Gehenna, every single time he quotes Jeremiah, without exception, which means he's in the line of Jeremiah. And if you remember, Jeremiah is the one that uses the valley of Hinnom, the valley that's outside of Jerusalem, which was the garbage dump, which was also where they set up all the sacrificial systems and the Molech, um, Molech um, uh, worshiping center where they burned the children alive, the babies. And, and Jeremiah went through there and cleansed the place. He just cleaned it out. So all this imagery is one in which the intention of the fire of God a God who is fire is to restore and purify. That's the intention. But can you hold on to your crap? Yeah, you can. And we do. And, um, you know, hell, hell is one of two things. It's either an uncreated something, right? Or a created something. There's only those two choices. There's no third option here. If it's uncreated, it is God who is love. If it's uncreated, because only, the only uncreated is God, who is love. Which means that then hell is the presence of God that's opposed to the darkness that's in you. If it's a created thing, then it cannot separate you from the love of God, Romans 8. And it has a list of all the things that cannot separate you from the love of God. Anything present, anything future, right? Not any created thing. So it can't. So hell, whatever wow. it is, it's not separation. Very powerful. Wow. Because there is no separation. Separation is the myth. It's the first thing that goes sideways in Genesis. It's not the eating of the fruit. It's Adam believing that he's alone. And to do that, he has to turn away from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, it's, it's where everything, he creates a separation in his own mind, casts a shadow, and then defines the universe according to the darkness that he's created by turning. And um, that's a whole different way of coming to the conversation than you've got a God who's up there holy punishing those of us because we screwed up, you know, and it's like, well, didn't you know we were going to screw up? Yeah, yeah. So what, do you, what did you do about it? We did everything about it. You know, your salvation is absolutely secured. Not anything that you've done. He died once for all. 
This is a statement that is true and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all mankind, especially believers. Paul's writing that to Timothy, and he's talking about Timothy working with church people. <laughs> he's just saying, you got to remember, they're included too, yeah. you know? But it, does, it doesn't mean that you cannot hold on to your darkness potentially forever. But if there, there is a day that the last human being will come fully back to face-to-face relationship with God, it will be a religious person. Guaranteed. Gosh. Well, let's have Paul, a this uh, is Paul the Young we've part ever two, part three, part four, part yeah. five. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've never listened this much in our entire lives, Paul. It's amazing. Yeah, I was just if, thinking if we how have well back, I was you, listening. You, I know. I've never done this before. <laughs> I'm going to listen to this episode, man. I know. Me too. <laughs> I, I stopped listening to Bad Christian. I'm going to listen to this one. <laughs> oh, man. It's been an absolute joy to be with you guys. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And you have other books, too. I wanted to quickly mention, and maybe we can have you back to talk more about this book, because I'm really interested in it, too, Lies We Believe About God, which you're, we're kind of talking a little bit about that, but I think that's that came out last year, if I'm not mistaken, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, and it got me in a little hot water with my people, too. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's that's a good sign. At least um, an upset person or an angry person is not an ambivalent person. Uh, yeah. They're at least in there engaged, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, somebody who just doesn't care, there's no conversation to be had. That hot water and, was intended uh, to purify you, not burn your skin off, you know. Come on, brother. Them. So they're just yeah. trying to help. <laughs> I'm, I'm all about that. I agree with that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this is, this is a God who we have to begin with relationship and love as the framework for every part of the conversation, not just some of it. And, uh, and when you, even when you hear that something sparks inside, cause I think every human being has a tuning fork that goes off when they're exposed to something that is true and right and beautiful and good and compassionate. And, uh, and you know, part of the fear that, that my own people have is that, you know, they, they write me and they say, what if I take the risk that God is as good as you say he is mm-hmm. and you're wrong. And I'm like, so you want to live forever where you have to stay behind Jesus to try to protect the, you know, the fact that you are a piece of crap and that Jesus is covering you with his righteousness so that God the Father doesn't know the truth about who you are? That's how you think, you know, eternal life is, is about? No, eternal life is about being fully exposed, being fully human, being able to be everything you were designed to be in the freedom of that. And in the relationship in which you are absolutely adored and loved simply because you exist, not because you perform anything, right? Mm-hmm. And when we hear that, something goes off and says, you know, if only that were true. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the declaration of the gospel. It is true. It's got to be so con- uh, so frustrating, especially for someone who has really thought this through and come out on the other side to see everybody being taught something that you see as very unhealthy. I mean, that's gotta, that's gotta be frustrating. You're obviously not angry. And I love how you call the church, your people, you're not angry, but it's got, it's gotta be frustrating. Well, I'm angry sometimes because, because some of that crap really hurts people. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, but I'm not angry. I'm not angry at the, at the people themselves. And I want to preserve what I believe it is true about me is also true about you, that you were a very good creation before anything in you got broken. And that good creation is truer about you than the darkness that has entered into your life. 
And, um, and you know what, here's the other joy about being a child. Finally, I'm, I don't have to be responsible for anything. You know, the word responsibility is not in scripture. It's not in the Greek. It's not in the Hebrew and it's not in the Aramaic. And it's become this key word for spirituality. This is why freedom feels irresponsible, right? What is in scripture is that you have an ability to respond. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the beauty of that. That's a day-to-day thing. Yeah, I look and I'm grieved more than I am frustrated um, because there is nothing I see out there that I haven't seen in the darkness of my own heart, right? Yeah. So I don't take a position of judging some in some form of superiority, but I, I grieve how much hurt we inflict on ourselves and one another. And, and that, the, the healthier you become, the deeper you feel the grief, but the healthier you become, the less you then feel like it's a call to become responsible to do something about it. I can't heal anybody and I can't save anybody, right? Not my job. If my yoke's not easy and my burden's not light, I'm picking up stuff that doesn't belong to me, but I, I grieve it. And then I go like, okay, in the course of this day, what's in front of me, which would be this conversation right now, this moment, this is where I am living. And it's inside this conversation that things are happening. And I trust the work of God inside of that and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have to own any of it. I don't have to look for outcomes. I don't have to try to figure out what it means. I don't have to have a vision. I don't My life's simple. And, um, and I think when things get complex, you're probably slipping into something that's not true. Mm-hmm. Where does, you know, if, it, if this doesn't work for children and first century slaves, it's probably not true. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. Man, thanks so much. I really do hope we can get you back on and talk more because it's, it's, if it's this helpful for us, I would imagine it's going to be helpful for a lot of people. So thank you for your time. You're yeah, welcome. This is, this is wonderful for sure, Paul. Let we, me, we, let we me really tell you. Appreciate it. Let me tell you one little secret about the shack and uh, the movie itself. There is the scene where they're in the garden and you see the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, Papa and Jesus and Saru and Mac. They just uh, buried Missy's body, right? And there is this scene where these butterflies start showing up and one of them lands on Sam Worthington's nose, Mackenzie, right? Yeah. And... And you see that it's not CGI. It happened in the shot. Oh, wow. Whoa. I know. I know. I know. So, so, and and his, his response to it was so perfect, but was totally unexpected. That's cool. and uh, so when you see the movie, that's just one of those little gems that happened. Yeah. Thank you. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right, Paul. We awesome. definitely well, enjoyed. We know you're trying. We know you're trying to sell a lot of books, man. So we're going to point people towards uh, your. <laughs> Just kidding. That's so awesome that you wrote the shack for your kids. Holy cow! Well, thank you so much. Yep. We'll catch up soon. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Bye bye. Okay. You know, man. I don't know if people know this or not, but our first fifty episodes we did. Uh, I 
we just did this podcast talking filthy, and I just gave it to my kids. Before, you know, before we ever released any publicly, we were just cussing on mic and giving it to our children. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. that was before episode anything, negative yeah. fifty to zero, and then episode one we started going public. I did, people don't know that, but that's <laughs> yeah, we went public. Yeah. We were just talking yeah. dirty. To yeah, our and kids the, in the podcast, but not trying to toot our own horn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and these people make it happen. Uh, BC Club, we appreciate it. If you don't know what the BC Club is, go to thebcclub.com. Check it out. It's a way of supporting this podcast outside of being a listener. If you're a listener, you're already helping us a great deal. But Ian Crawford, Fritz from A Perfect Weakness. Uh, okay. Uh, his name is Fritz from A Perfect Weakness. Probably cool. Name. Weston Fusselman, Michael Linksy, James Ray, Evan Thompson, Dresden McGregor, Craig... Let better Seth J Caldwell and Brian <laughs> Beatty. <laughs> I'm getting old. I, I had to, the computer screen. Yeah, a couple times I had to look a little closer. But oh, hey, we Lord. thank you guys. We thank the BC Club, and uh, yeah, I will get a go ahead and sign off. Hope you enjoyed yeah, the interview. We didn't even. Uh, what stinks is we didn't. One of the n- new books he's working on is The Shack Two. It's the story of Shaquille O'Neal yeah. from Louisiana <laughs> all the way to the L.A. Lakers, and uh, Paul's a huge Lakers fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh don't forget the to shat, come see the, the uh concert that everybody's talking about oh, yeah, all yeah. over the world and it's emory as cities burn king's kaleidoscope and Derek minor which is in the middle of the bad christian conference you can go to emorymusic.com and get tickets to that in nashville on the 27th coming up real soon we have pete ends and preston sprinkle and jonathan merritt and a bunch of other people uh coming out uh to the conference it's going to be great but that's sold out i'm just bragging about it but the 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 concert is not yet sold out but it's sold a ton of tickets so it's going to be fun and then of course emory going to florida and georgia with as cities burn you can get those tickets for that too uh please get them we'll see y'all all all soon and what one one thing I got to say one thing too. Go one ahead. thing that's not sold out is Devin Shelton and I for Valentine's Day go over to songrescue.com. We're doing I think we only have 10 spots for customized songs. So me and Devin will work on a song, send your lyrics or we'll send us your story. We'll write you a customized song songrescue.com. Sorry, I wanted to throw that in there too. No problem. Don't Valentine's apologize. Is coming quick. You got to own your shit. All right, see y'all. I got to own my shit. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.